On part one of strategy, culture, or character, Max Jagannathan from Thinking Faith has shown us the crossroads where we decide if strategy will retain priority in our planning for success, and that character is most impactful when we see its highest embodiment. This episode is part two of a two-part special which features Max Jagannathan from Thinking Faith. If, if we're believers in the marketplace, it's our job to take a love that is qualitatively different to the love that is being talked about in uh, corporate culture. We're there to take a hope that is qualitatively different. Uh, we are there to take goodness and gentleness uh, and faithfulness and self-control. That is all qualitatively different. And for all of that to be modelled and to even be possible, even imperfectly, uh, we need transformation. Uh, and that's why, you know, even though there's a $12 billion a year global industry on self-help the christian message again incredibly is not about self-help it's about transformation and so and and interestingly um having spent a bit of time recently in the book of matthew as a as a local church it's sort of on my mind as i'm thinking here Hmm. but the the disciples had that question didn't they what who is the greatest what makes someone great in god's kingdom right and jesus had to point out to them it's not this competitive argument between yourselves it's actually becoming like a child and that's that self-reliance that humility like you were pointing out it's not always popular to say it but that idea that we need something outside ourselves to do more than just aspire to the highest virtues but to actually start to embody them is that what you're saying that's absolutely right and i mean that conversation is fascinating because what jesus does there which you know you've summarized really well is that they ask him about greatness and he actually implicitly rejects the premise of the question he says actually it's not about greatness it's about goodness it's about yeah, goodness good. that's, not that's greatness. really insightful uh, and that's significant because you know our world today um it, at least in prevailing modern culture it, it it defines success it defines fulfillment it defines uh you know life satisfaction by greatness um whereas jesus is saying your problem is your metric is wrong it's about goodness and goodness starts with humility uh, goodness starts with realizing that we need help from outside. Goodness starts with, you know, understanding um, that it doesn't all have, it isn't all about professional advancement or profits and loss or celebrity um, or being celebrated by other people or adulation or pleasure or convenience or all of these things that we deify today. He says, um, the world's out there running after greatness. You need to focus on goodness. That's that's really insightful. Uh, I need to write that down. What was it? It's not greatness, it's goodness. Is that how you had yeah. to start there? Yeah, really yeah, that's good. right. Yeah, I'm, I'm ashamed I missed that when I read through that <laughs> several times. That's, well, well you, said it. You, you said it in your summary. I just re- rephrased it for you. Yeah, that's right. Yours was better. So that's, <laughs> that's, that's why, you get to, why you get the speaking gigs, Max. <laughs> oh, thanks, mate. Um, so that's a, a helpful picture for us to paint about what it might look like. And it also shows... Um, the difference in, in definitions, it shows the, the need to flip things right side up. And you've touched on human flourishing, you could call it, sort of a, a Tim Keller word, he uses that quite a bit, about mm. finding the greatest good for people. Is that a, a common um, value in an organisation? Can we assume that or is that not a good starting point? Yeah, again, I, I think it is common and I think increasingly organisations are starting to understand that um, we want to be about more than, you know, just making money or we want to be about more than just growth for growth's sake. Uh, and a lot of organisations, to their credit, they are actually turning back 
some of their mission on their own people. So we're not just about doing great things financially in terms of wealth creation and growth and market share and so forth, but we also want to take care of our people. I think most organizations get that. Um, for some of them, it's just happened accidentally because um, you know this Christian moral framework we talk about, it's actually good for business. Um, I know that that can be a controversial thing to say, but um, I think it's true. One, one thing about the Christian message is that it is a blueprint for human flourishing. And so if you at least pay respect to it and seek to emulate it, either explicitly or implicitly, things will generally tend to go better over time, even, even in a broken world and bro with broken people. So I think a lot of organizations and, and workplaces do get that, but the challenge is always there. How do you define human flourishing? Um, and how do you define the word flourishing? It's another one of those words that, you know, a post-truth culture will take and subjectively define and twist it around. And so some people think flourishing is about autonomy and freedom. Um, so the, the key to human flourishing is for me to be able to do whatever I want to do to make myself happy as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. They think that's all it is. Um, and I, I think that's a dangerous place to go. You know, you mentioned Tim Keller. He's he's very insightful on this where, you know, he he makes this insight that, the, the world out there often thinks or prevailing culture often thinks that flourishing is purely about optimizing freedom. But what it really is about, according to the Bible, at least, is about using the freedom that we've got to submit ourselves to the right kinds of constraints such that we can flourish in accordance with our purpose. Um, you know, so Mark Twain said that the, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out why. Um, and I think that's, that's a huge insight because it links flourishing to purpose. Whereas the world today links flourishing to usually something else, usually freedom or happiness, one of those two things. Whereas the Christian message does what Mark Twain did. He says it links it to purpose. And that link between flourishing and purpose goes to the heart of how I believe following Jesus uh, changes your life in real life, in whatever job you're doing. If you're trading derivatives or um, working in an accounting firm or cleaning toilets or sweeping streets, whatever you're doing, if if we link our flourishing with purpose um, rather than satisfaction or convenience or whatever else the world throws around, um, I think that is significant. And we see this, you know, when Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? You know, he's really being asked, what's the meaning of life? Like, what's flourishing all about? How do we get there? And he, he looks like he gives an answer because he says, go, love God and love other people, right? Paraphrasing him. But really, he gives two purposive relational responses to an instructional question. So this guy, who's ironically a lawyer, right? He comes and asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus, so he's asking an instructional question. He's saying, just give me the instruction. Just tell me what to do. It's a strategy question, right? He's like, just tell me what the strategy is. Yeah. What are the outcomes? What do I need to do? And Jesus, he doesn't unpack it for him, but he basically says, I reject the premise of your question. You think flourishing is about strategy and outcomes uh, whereas it's not it's about your purpose and your purpose rests in taking care of two very important categories of relationship uh, your relationship with god and your relationship with other people so he dresses the answer up as an instructional answer you know go and love god and go and love other people but really their purposes their relationships and when we think about how countercultural this message of jesus actually is it really takes flight in that answer that jesus gives because the rest of the world is living propositionally, it's living transactionally, whereas this message is about living relationally. And so if you focus on your relationship with God and your relationship with other people, all this other stuff just flows naturally. 
Yeah, it's reminded me, um, I mentioned in the last podcast, this uh, stream of thought I came across. I think it's heavily influenced by theistic thought, but it's the idea of personalism. The idea right. that persons are the highest, um, I guess, reality in the, yes. in uh, in all of life. You'd know more about this than me. But what I found fascinating at the end of that was the summary that um, human flourishing under that stream of thought was to sort of fully know oneself and be self-possessed, but also then to give oneself away. Right. Um, and they called it in a position of disinterest. I guess that means in, in sort of a financial or transactional term that you're not looking to gain something from that. And I really got, um, you know, I really saw the Christian theistic thought come through that this is Jesus embodied. He came with, with great strength, the great power, knew who he was, but his, uh, he was defined by how he gave himself away. And I think that just shows, once again, what you were saying, that upside-down message of what flourishing is. Yeah, it's a really, a really powerful and important insight. And, and when you look at, you know, personalism and how it was developed by people like Thomas Aquinas and, and many others around that time, always, or not always, but almost always with very strong uh, Christian or Judeo-Christian links and roots philosophically and theologically, um, the elevation of the individual is always accompanied by that humbling and giving away of the individual. Whereas you, you touch on another important contrast with what we see today in prevailing modern culture, which is, yes, the elevation of the individual, but then not giving the individual away. The elevating of the individual and then the self-actualizing, the self-fulfillment, the self-righteousness of the individual. And, and that's really the difference between personalism and individualism. You know, we've in modern culture, and it's, it's happened over hundreds of years, I think, I think you can track it back to the you know, all four rounds of the industrial revolutions and, and free markets and post-war reconstruction and then, you know, the digital and computing revolutions and now the AI revolution um, that we're on the front end of now. The elevation of the individual, but then a stripping out of their, their purpose, why they were made, their intrinsic dignity and what their mission actually is to pour themselves out and to love other people uh, and to serve broader human flourishing around them. That that stripping out of the, the telos or the purpose for which people were made is is what is quite sad um, and and really has seen a deterioration, I think, in, in a lot of uh, modern cultural outcomes and economic outcomes, both in the context of uh, inequality and we see it politically, we see it legally, um, just a, a misunderstanding of the, the beauty and the intrinsic value of that person that they are elevating at the same time. So we've, we've experienced an elevation of the person but a misunderstanding of who that person is. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's something that uh, followers of Jesus and people interested in this stuff um, can understand and can be countercultural in, in how we go back into our workplaces and um, tell the tell the original story, if you like. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, you've offered some great insight there. And I can hear your, um, your depth of background research and history coming through. And it's really good to hear you extrapolate and draw it out for us. Um, but I'd love to focus on a little bit of the how, because I'm sure anyone listening to your talk wants to know, well, what do I do about this information now? Um, I've, you know, I recognise perhaps my thinking and priorities need to change, but how do, we go, how do we go about that? Like, how do you start with character? And it might be different, I'm guessing, for if you've got a fresh slate as a startup or a, a new business, maybe you're about to become parents, you've got a chance to implement um, your structures at the very beginning. Mm. So how should one start with character? Really important question and a, a very difficult one that many, many people far more intelligent than me have um, spoken about and written about. But I'll, I'll share some thoughts that I've got. I, I think putting it in a startup context is helpful. 
um, because, and this might sound a bit less gracious um, than I would like it to, but having having the right people on the bus to begin with is, I think, really important. Um, you don't need people who are of perfect character and perfect virtue. Those people don't exist. But I think if you're in a recruitment phase, um, you really do need to find people that have the right heart posture. Uh, I know that's a very um, <laughs> ugly Christian jargonistic yeah. term, but I mean, I think hard posture is really important. And, and I've met so many people and worked with so many people who are, are not Christian, uh, maybe people of uh, other faiths or people who are agnostic or atheistic in their, in their faith that, you know, have, have that hard posture of being willing to be gracious to people and reach out to people and, and being willing to be humble and to be teachable and to improve. So I think staffing your team, and it, for most people who have teams, it's probably too late because you've already staffed them. That's why you're a leader. But we don't always get the choosers on our team, but a lot of the time we do, uh, particularly those of, you know, those of you in leadership. So getting the right people on the bus, I think, is key. Uh, and then I think setting an environment where relationships can prosper and where those relationships take precedent over, over the activities of what you guys are actually trying to achieve. Um, if the right people are on the bus and they are willing to take a bullet for one another, um, that's a wonderful place, I think, a wonderful interpersonal starting point from which great ideas and great creativity and great efficiency and productivity can grow. And that is good for business, don't get me wrong, which is why you know you see some of the great business leaders and um, leadership theorists writing about it. Um, but you know, for, for Christians, that's actually an end in itself. To value people you know we're called to love people as we as we love ourselves to love people outside of ourselves even if they're our enemies we're called to love them as an end in itself so we're called to build authentic relationships of trust and that's the end of the story we're not called to build them in order to grow businesses we're not called to build them in order to evangelize we're not called to build friendships in order to make people Christian or whatever it might be those are separate mandates and missions the first mandate and mission is just to go and love people just for the sake of loving them. Uh, and so I know that sounds overly simplistic, but... No, I, think I think it captures the, the high level. And I guess yeah. the harder question is, what might that look like on the ground? And I think businesses are struggling, organisations are struggling with this thought, or they're at least tackling it, because from my reading, they were making comments that uh, culture is much more than the ping pong table in the lunchroom. It's much more than uh, the post-work drinks Yes, um, there needs. To, it's not just seeking fun, which people have fallen into the trap of thinking if we just have fun together, we'll build good culture. Um, what do you think are some of the 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 more foundational uh, ways you can address these needs that, that go beyond fun? Yeah, it's a good question. I don't, I don't want to refer back or reiterate what I've said, but when I talked about investing in people, uh, I, I think that I think that's part of the key is if leadership can actually show people um, that they are loved. And that word love is weird, you know, in a, in a secular environment. It's certainly weird in a corporate environment. But I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, you know, love is just wanting what's best for the other. That, that 1 Corinthians definition of love that Paul just rattles off. I mean, I've heard that read out at atheist weddings. You know, that's, that's how resonant the Christian definition of love is with the human heart, regardless of what you believe. Uh, and so building an environment where people do feel loved and they are encouraged um, and nurtured and there is an environment created in which you know, the the fruits of the spirit, for, for want of a less theological term. Um, but yeah, just the, the tenets of Christian love and faith and hope uh, and peace and joy can just be um, exuded in, in that environment. I think it begins with 
investing in people and you know making your people feel like the most important thing in the world because in a very real biblical sense they are um, they're, they're, does that mean it might show up it might show up in the way you're you're looking to get your your people to the next step in their career journey you're not hanging on to them you're trying to make them flourish despite perhaps a potential changeover and staff you if it means they step onto a new team or a new organization could that be a way that plays out Oh, absolutely. I totally, yeah, totally agree with that. It's it's really understanding conceptually that they don't belong to you um, and your organization and your mission and this time that they are with you is not necessarily their end game. In fact, it very rarely is their end game. And what you are doing is you are stepping into their calling alongside them and you're journeying with them for this particular season. Uh, and that might be six months, it might be six years, it might be 20 years. Um, but your role is to help them to flourish in their calling, not to help them to flourish in your calling or to help them, not to help them to flourish so your organization can flourish. It's just to help them to flourish in in what they've been called to. Um, and some of that actually involves letting people go, um, sometimes possibly even against their will. It, it, in any On any Christian definition, loving someone is not just keeping them in a job because they want the job. It's coming alongside them and being like, you know, What's your calling? What, where's your gifting? And, and does that fit with what we are trying to do here? Um, and more often than not, it probably does because that's why they're there in the first place. But sometimes I think you've got to, you've got to move people on. But I think understanding um, as leaders, and I'm talking about leadership, you know, if, it's, if you're middle management, if you're senior management, if, you're, you know, if you have you know, HR responsibility over anyone for any reason in a supervisory capacity, uh, then this applies um, to all of us in that regard, is that they just need to feel because it's true that you care deeply about their journey and you care deeply about their flourishing beyond this particular task or this particular quarter or these particular figures or sales data or whatever it might be that you're journeying with them. You want to see them flourish, whatever that might look like. Um, and you're with them first. And then secondly, you want these outcomes for the organization that you both work for, but that is secondary. And I, I've had fantastic bosses over the years both christian and non-christian who have been like that um, and i've had horrific ones as well i think you've captured really well the the biblical picture of love because it's we often get concepts of valentine's day in our culture and warm and fuzzy feelings um, but the human flourishing is much more than just making them feel good and you've mentioned that in the way you might deal with them that um, with a hard decision as well as you know you're seeking the best for them with their place on the team with their place in life so that's mm. really helpful. I've got one more question for you, which is equally as difficult, and then I'll, I'll give you the, the last little um, challenge for you, if you're okay with that. Sure, sure. <laughs> okay, so you've mentioned getting the right people on the bus in regards to setting the character as the foundational way to then build culture and strategy. What if you are the last person joining the bus? What can you do? You're not the CEO, you've joined a team and you're finding that perhaps some of these um, cultures and strategies aren't where they should be? What do you do then? Yep, great question. Um, not, not to overly simplify it, but I think it does start with focusing on who you are um, rather than what they are doing. Because obviously you've identified, and you may well be correct, that there is a problem with what they are doing, or at least there's a problem with how they are doing it, um, even if you agree with, you might agree with the strategy and not the culture. Uh, either way, I think it still makes sense to start with character. Um, I think I think we got to be one-trick ponies on this stuff sometimes. I think taking a good hard look at yourself first. How can I be someone that builds authentic relationships of trust 
through which I can then bring about change in time in this organization that I've been called to. I feel called to it. Uh, I feel called to what they are doing. I don't particularly like how they are doing all of it, but these are all image bearers of God who are involved in this and I'm called to love them and to build authentic friendships with them. So that's exactly what I'm going to do. And then I'm going to use wisdom um, and grace, but also be committed to truth uh, in sharing with them, you know, over time, how change perhaps can be brought about. Um, and to do that in love over time while focusing on your own personal character and virtue is a very, very difficult thing. So I'm not saying that that is easy. Um, and that's why it takes supernatural help. I don't think you can, we can do that on our own. The, the self-improvement industry, like I said, it's 11 or $12 billion, um, doesn't seem to be doing a whole lot when I look at the people around me and when I used to try it on myself. We need a transcendent agent of change that comes in from outside ourselves. Uh, and so if you're in there and you think changes need to be made, then within the bounds of what you have been called to, within the bounds of your position, whatever prerogatives and power you've got, over time, relationally, graciously, but also boldly and confidently, um, you got to try and bring about those changes. But while you're trying to bring those about, as always, who you are will matter much, much more than what you're saying and what you do. I mean, I'm a I'm a relatively new parent. You know, I've been a I've been a dad for almost four years now, um, and all the literature you read. The good stuff in it will say, look, this is all helpful, but in the end, who you are matters much, much more. Um, so even in parenting, character comes before <laughs> culture and outcomes. So yeah, I yes. hope, hope that's some some things to think about, even if it's not an exhaustive answer. No, that's, that's very good because each situation is going to have different specifics that require an answer to. Mm. And with the parenting example, I sympathize with you there because you've, you realize that um, even when you're not thinking about what you're doing, you are shaping your character if you're falling into habits in a certain direction and, and, exactly. and otherwise. So mm, that's the challenge yeah. in the workplace. That's the challenge in the family setting. And that's yep. really helpful that you've put it that way for us. Um, so you've certainly helped us think through faith, which is what thinking faith is all around. We're so glad that you've joined us today. But I've got one last challenge if you're up for it. If you were sure. to make um, something Instagram shareable out of what we said today, so in 10 words or less, what's the first step to setting the priorities of strategy, culture, and character the right way up? The first step would be to remember that who we are matters much more, both for families and organizations and any entity. Who we are matters much more than what we do and think and say, and it even matters more than what we achieve. I think that's the most important realization. Once we can understand that, then everything else will flow. So again, it's a big oversimplification, but um, if we focus on who we are and the help that we need and the struggles that we have, then we'll become the kinds of people that will naturally, very naturally, almost accidentally build positive cultures where creativity can happen, where failure is not condemned, where people can feel free to try things, fail at them, succeed at them. People aren't climbing over each other. People are supporting each other. Um, there's a mutuality, there's a common purpose that everyone's working towards where people are not pitted against each other. So that sense of common humanity and camaraderie is there. And then from that, you can't help but achieve your strategic goals. Outcomes just flow. So if we yeah, start with character, great. if we start with character, culture will flow. And once that happens, strategy will easily be actualized out of that. Well, I haven't seen your answers as overly simplified because like Jesus changing it up, you've sort of set the overarching premise to rethink things and then to see how that plays out practically in, in our setting each day. I've been 
yeah, really thankful you've joined us. You've helped us um, think through this topic of strategy, culture, and character. And there was a, a short phrase you had for us that was... Um, oh, yes. that It's not greatness, it's, it's goodness. It's not greatness. Yeah, the world is focused on greatness. We need to focus on goodness. Thanks Thank so you. much for your time, Max. I hope to talk to you soon and hear how you're going with Thinking Faith. Thanks so much, Darren. A pleasure to be with you guys. God bless. Okay. You've been exploring how faith and work overlap on the 11th Hour podcast. Check out our website, engageworkfaith.org.au, to find resources on the topics we cover and keep up to date with our latest events. Thanks for joining us on this episode.